Liza Barber is an advanced accredited practicing dietitian as well as a lecturer and PhD candidate in the Department of Nutrition and Dietetics at Monash University. With over 15 years of practical experience in community dietetics and public health nutrition, Liza has worked in remote regions of Australia and overseas such as the Kingdom of Tonga. Liza worked as the National Nutrition Programs Manager at Second Bite, where she developed, implemented and evaluated two food security based programs. On the side, she has started a pickle business with her husband, which is about to see Aussie-made American-style dill pickles hit our supermarket shelves. Her passion for advocating for more food sustainability and equity is infectious, and we look forward to uncovering her journey in the public health sector. Please welcome Liza. So hi Liza, welcome, how are you? I'm good, thanks so much for having me. It's our pleasure, we're very excited to have you here today. Now with all our guests, we like to start off with some quick fire questions. So our first question is, are you a restaurant or home cooking kind of person? And uh, if so, sorry. Oh no, that's fine, if so, which one's your favorite dish or place? Okay, the idea of going to a restaurant seems so foreign right now, doesn't it? Um, mm-hmm. I will say, even before COVID, we were home cooking people. My husband's an awesome cook. Um, and between the two of us, we do all right in the home, in the kitchen. So mm. um, probably favourite thing to eat at home would be a delicious big um, cheese and um, kind of picky plate, um, nice bottle mm. of and then, um, yeah, it's a beautiful afternoon and weekend for us. Mm. So nice. So our second question is, what have you enjoyed most about isolation? I have enjoyed slowing down. I don't think I realised before this all happened how ridiculous my schedule was because I was at markets every weekend selling pickles and then I'm a PhD candidate full-time and then I teach as well. So kind of a seven-day-a-week gig. So it's been really nice not having the markets on the weekends and just having time with the kids and um, family. Yeah, it's been actually, that's been a, a big positive. Yeah. And question number three is, what have you been consuming recently, either a book, a show or an article? Oh, a book, a show or an article. If you'd asked me last week, I would have said MasterChef. I'm still feeling a bit sad that it's over. <laughs> Got super into that season. Mm-hmm. Um, book show, can it be like a, um, a podcasty? Yeah. Yeah, so I've become quite... Absolutely. Um, yeah, into meditation. I did a mindfulness um, training course. Um, so yeah, I start and finish my day with some um, beautiful just mindfulness meditations on the Calm. I've got the Calm app. Mm-hmm. So yeah, really loving that. Mm. I love listening to those sounds. I'm just like, oh, <sighs> they take you to another place, which is yeah, so nice. it's a good way to start and end the day for sure. Mm. Um, so fourth question is, what is one thing we can't find out about you online? Probably that I'm really into my CrossFit. I started a year ago and I was just sort of a little bit on the side, but um, yeah, I'm still going and really enjoying it. Um, So yeah, I don't think, and I will definitely, there will never be evidence of that online. (laughs) No one wants to see that, um, but I very much enjoy it. And a final question is, what what did you want to be when you were a child? Um, My parents told me I wanted to be a clown. 
when I was <laughs> um, and then I went to my work experience with an architect so that was when I was in year 10 um, and realized it wasn't for me that I definitely wanted to work with people a bit more so um, that human interaction is really important to me um, so yeah not a clown not an architect <laughs> But actually, that leads perfectly into our first segment, talking a bit about the beginning of your career in nutrition. What really sparked that interest in nutrition for you? I guess it was the idea of working so closely with human beings um, and getting to know people. Um, the psychology behind what we eat was always really fascinating to me and um, feeling that I'd have some kind of skill set or little toolkit or something that would make people's lives um, that little bit better in whatever way or shape um, that might be. So yeah, I think that was probably it at the start. So did you start with um, nutrition or did you do a bit of psychology as well? I actually um, finished high school and did a, I started the Bachelor of um, Biomedical Science at Monash. Um, and then chose the elective subjects of nutrition in my first year of biomed, which allowed me to cross over into um, dietetics in second year because it was a brand new course at my uni. So I was in the first cohort um, to graduate as a um, dietitian at Monash University. So yeah, I think it was like the stars just aligned um for me really and yeah I feel incredibly fortunate to have done the um electives and then just sort of sidestep into dietetics that way and during that time what did you enjoy most about studying and what did you like struggle with I probably wasn't the strongest of students um there's a couple of our lecturers that, that you will all know um that taught me as well and they will have a laugh about that I was never particularly good at biochem um the stat side of things, didn't love it. Um, yeah, so I, I probably struggled more with those, which is funny because I actually really loved chemistry and physics and things at school. So, yeah, I don't know what that was about. <laughs> and what parts did you enjoy? Um, probably I loved doing all the placements. I actually didn't mind doing the clinical placements. Um, I think it was getting back to interacting with people and just being so excited um, to have that human interaction and, and see what we'd be able to do when we graduated. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I probably loved that the most and obviously my public health placement and all those um, units as well, yeah. Yeah, and can you tell us about any formative experiences early on in your career that kind of shape who you are today? Um, yeah, well, I mean, my first job, I feel really grateful to have um, ended up in the middle of nowhere for my first job. I, um, yeah, it's a little town called Carnarvon. It's 11 hours drive north of Perth. Um, so wow. the nearest town is about five hours away. Um, tiny, tiny town. I think there's eight or 9,000 people that live there. Um, and I ended up there as a new graduate um, community dietitian and I don't I mean I was always a traveler I did lots of overseas travel between um, semesters at uni I um, come from a family of travelers and it's just been part of who we are um, so the idea of going to WA was just another adventure I was really excited for that um, 
but yeah, I don't think I realized at the time how important that would be for my career because I was the only dietitian for this ginormous um, geographical piece of Western Australia. And so I saw everything. I had pediatrics. I had everything you could imagine um, in terms of clinical presentation. Um, and so I sort of got a taste of all the things um, that you could see as a community dietitian. I did public health work, community development work. I got to fly in a little six-seater aeroplane a few times a month to go to these really remote areas of Western Australia, mm -hmm. Aboriginal communities. One of them six hours drive inland from the coast, um, middle of nowhere again with a hundred people living in this um, yeah little community. And so yeah, I think just what I saw in the three years in that job and what I experienced and the friends that I made um, have definitely shaped um, who I am as a person, but also pretty much every step of my career. Um, since then and I'm still super close with a lot of the people that I worked with um, and friends that I made yeah oh, that's that's really good um, and yeah I guess that that's a good encouragement to kind of yeah step out of your comfort zone for those who aren't too keen to travel too far um, because yeah it's just like those remote experiences um, that I've heard they're like yeah they can't be like anything else really yeah I think it's just knowing how diverse the field of nutrition and dietetics is. It's quite rare to get a little taste of everything in one job unless you do go sort of semi-remote and get yourself out there a bit. And your study did not stop uh, upon completion of the uh, Bachelor of Nutrition and Dietetics degree. Um, so can you tell us a, um, a bit about your other academic pursuits such as uh, your Graduate Certificate of Diabetes Education, International Health and Masters of Public Health. Yeah. Yeah, sure. So the um, Graduate Certificate in Diabetes Education was basically because I was the only dietitian in this huge space in Western Australia and I'd be flying to um, the community, um, like Aboriginal communities and also down to Monkey Mire and Shark Bay and Denham and up to Exmouth and um, really remote places and yes we had a diabetes educator as well but they weren't always on the same plane so if someone needed to start insulin that day or they'd just gone onto new medication for a type 2 diabetes or whatever it might be I just didn't feel equipped um, enough to be able to support them through that process and I um, yeah I just felt compelled to build up my own skills so that I could support them through that process. And um, yeah, I worked really closely with the diabetes educator there. So she was um, very encouraging um, for me to do that course as well. And I got to go to Royal Darwin Hospital and do a clinical placement, um, which was really fascinating too. Um, and then the next one was a bit funny. So that was the Graduate Certificate of International Health. And I basically, when I left Western Australia, I flew to Canada and I spent nearly two years traveling through, um, I had a year in Canada and then nearly a year um, backpacking through Central and South America. Wow. And I was having the time of my life. <laughs> like, um, like I was with a few girlfriends that I'd met in Western Australia. We had our surfboards in a little van 
um, and just cruised around like it seems ridiculous that I've that for so long now um, but it was so fun and I think I just wanted something to kind of keep my career ticking along and um, I've always had this real appetite for learning and um, kind of expanding um, the role of a nutrition um, dietitian professional so yeah, I just thought, you know, I was in Guatemala learning about um, maternal and child health nutrition in developing countries. And I was seeing this with my own reading all these fascinating articles. So it was actually really, in some ways, it was excellent timing um, for me to learn about international health. Um, yeah. And then the Master of Public Health just seems like a kind of succession from that. I got some credit for doing that degree. Um, I also got some credit for, because I went to the Kingdom of Tonga for a year um, with the Youth Ambassador for Development Program. Um, so I got some recognition of doing that work because I worked at the Ministry of Health in Tonga. So yeah, just the Master of Public Health just seemed um, like the next, the next step for me. Wow. I've had some really um, interesting experiences and I guess, yeah, there's nothing like immersing yourself in a culture to really um, understand, yeah, the effects of and the importance of nutrition. So that's, that's so cool. And to wrap up this section, coming out of university, did you feel you were ready, um, yeah, ready to have a career? And was there a steep learning curve um, that you experienced? Yeah, I, I think yes to both. Um, I did feel equipped. I feel like University gave me um, a network of my peers and the lecturers and my placement supervisors. Um, so I felt really prepared in a sense of this kind of safety network around me of people that I could go to for support. Um, and then also, I think it took me a while to realise I didn't need to know it all when I finished uni. I didn't you know, you always feel like you need to have all this information in your head as soon as you graduate. Um, but what I was prepared with in that, I knew where to find information. I knew how to find the answers to any question, whether it was asking someone or looking up the resources that um, I sort of had in my little toolkit upon graduation. So yeah, I did feel prepared. Um, Yes, it was a very steep learning curve as well. I think that leads really nicely into our second section of the podcast where we're going to explore a few more of those career experiences that you um, have you know, alluded to in kind of starting your career. So your, as you've kind of already described, your work experiences have taken you around the country and around the world. So can you tell us a bit about the experiences you've had as a community dietitian in these very, you know, you've mentioned um, the Kingdom of Tonga, um, the remote parts of Western Australia and Alice Springs, if I'm right, as well. Um, so just kind of what, what the different experiences were like. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, I think um, probably the first one was, yeah, being in Carnarvon and just, um, I don't think I was prepared upon graduating for how many different people I would be exposed to in this career. And I think that's such a privilege and an honor. And I've always felt that way. Um, so for me to meet and sit in a room 
of um, confidentiality with an individual that I probably would never otherwise cross paths with in life um, and to learn from their experience. So I'm talking about like these um, yeah, incredible elders from the Aboriginal community in the middle of Western Australia um, and to sit in a room and have conversations. Um, it just is such an honour um, and I've kept all those stories in my head and I will forever um, and treasure those. Um, I think being in Alice Springs, I was only there for a short period of time. So I did a, um, when I got back from um, Central and South America, I needed a bit of a reality check of what um, life was actually really like, because it was just incredible. And so I went to Alice Springs, I'd applied for the job in Tonga. Um, and just it's quite a long process. I think it's about a six month process with the Ambassador for Development Program. I think it's currently called um, Australian Volunteers, AVI, I can't remember what it stands for, um, but it's through AusAid, the program that I went with. Um, so yeah, six months to wait and see if I got the job in Tonga. So yeah, off I, off I went to Alice Springs and worked um, as a renal dietitian and on the medical surgical wards. Um, so yeah, that was really interesting. I found um, it a little disheartening compared to what I'd seen in Western Australia in that in WA, um, seeing Aboriginal culture in the community was very different to seeing it in a, um, a, hot, a big hospital in Alice Springs. And um, so yeah, I, I found it quite overwhelming being in Alice Springs. Um, and just quite confronting and um, yeah it's just it's a really important part of our work that we do as dietitians and nutritionists and I would encourage everyone to um, to think about working in that environment um, at some point in your career because yeah you know we've got such a rich culture here in Australia um, I feel really really lucky to have um, had some exposure to that, um, I left um, Alice Springs. I was really missing the ocean. I think I'm just an ocean person. And um, so some people love the desert and find real beauty around Alice Springs, which I certainly could see as well, but I just needed to feel the salty water on my skin. And um, so I was delighted when I got the job in Tonga um, on an island in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> and so off I went for a year. We started in Canberra with some training with all the other volunteers. So it was quite a supportive process and did a week of pre-departure training and then we all went together to Tonga. I think there was about 25 Australian volunteers. We were all between the ages of about 20 to 30, I think. Um, and again, I'm still super close friends with a lot of those people, um, as you can imagine. Um, and yeah, the job in Tonga was just, um, I was working with the Ministry of Health the job title was social marketing officer. I did, didn't have anything to do with nutrition, dietetics, nothing, but I, I looked at it and saw that the job sat within the health promotion unit. So I knew that it would be um, so, you know, something to do with public health nutrition, which is what I wanted. So yeah, it was, it was awesome. Another um, lots of very steep learning curve there, but in, in different ways. Mm. And what were the sorts of what were your sorts of roles in 
within that role as a social marketing manager, what did your kind of day-to-day life look like when you worked in Tonga? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, when I got to Tonga, all full of beans, I think I was, um, I think I was 28 around there when I got to Tonga. Um, super excited to, um, to see what we could do in our year of volunteering. Um, and the ladies that I worked with at the health promotion unit just were so funny. Like they just would say, Liza, just relax. Like you work too hard and they used to just tell me to to not try and do so much and it took me a couple of weeks I think to slow down and just kind of understand the kind of islander lifestyle and the pace of life is so much slower so basically um yeah I spent the first three months just getting to know my colleagues um meeting their families cruising around in the um, Ministry of Health bus, just meeting people, having a really good laugh with these amazing ladies. Um, And yeah, and then in the end, um, it became clear that the the biggest thing that was missing um, for them, like strategically what they wanted um, to happen at that point in time when I was there was to develop and kind of revamp Um, the national nutrition model so they didn't really have like we've got our Australian guide to healthy eating they didn't really have something that spoke to Tongan people and so that became my role essentially so I worked with a local tattoo artist and my Tongan counterparts in the Ministry of Health and we did a lot of consultation and found out what needed to happen what should be in this um a Tongan Guide to Healthy Eating and we ended up doing like an upside down um, triangle or pyramid. It was in the shape of a conch shell, so a very traditional um, shell in Tonga and we had the eight most, the eight moderately and then the eight least and then there was a wave in the corner that was bringing the imported foods into Tonga to show you know, you can eat Tongan food and have a um, nutritionally sound diet and eat the imported foods least um, and just occasionally. Um, So, yeah, and then we um, worked with the Ministry of Education in Tonga and we got it um, kind of integrated into the school curriculum from kindergarten all the way through up to high school. Um, So then I left and another dietitian came to Tonga Um, And essentially the handover was that she continued the work with the health promotion unit staff um, and they developed all these fun education tools like um, they did their food bingo and a whole series of um, fun ways to interact with that, um, their Tongan healthy eating guide um, to kind of bring it to life in the classroom setting. So that's all still going. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. And with those experiences, um, you've had to probably adapt a lot to those cultures. So what were the kind of yeah, biggest um, changes you had to make um, in either your practice or the way you interacted when you were in those places? I think it's just taking a step back and observing. Like, I think it's about acknowledging the way that we expect ourselves to function and what our kind of work ethic and expectation is of ourselves but then also sitting back and just observing taking a bit of time out and watching what's going on around you and then kind of fitting in 
in that sense as well because it has to align like if you're not working on the same level it's it, it's going to be really frustrating for everyone um so yeah i just um relaxed i mean in tonga it's nearly illegal to do anything other than go to church and have a big feast with your family on a sunday and so we'd all rock up to work on monday morning and the, there was a funny joke that Monday was the brother of Sunday. And so Monday was just chill out and just relax yourself on a Monday because you're still recovering from having a big feed on Sunday. <laughs> and then they used to laugh that Friday was Christmas Day. And so you don't do a lot of work on Friday either. So you've essentially got Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday <laughs> <laughs> to get your work done. So yeah, just totally different pace. Mm -hmm. And honestly, the happiest people I've ever worked with, the happiest department, um, mm -hmm. much laughter in that in that health promotion unit. And in terms of the practicality of you know how you went about getting that role and kind of yeah, I guess that incredible experience you had was it a, was it a volunteering like a set kind of contract of volunteering work or did it was it volunteering and then it turned into something else like how how did that kind of how did you get it and then what did that side of things look like as well yeah sure so um as i said i've come from a family of travelers so it was always on the cards that i'd go abroad at some point in my career um, so I sort of kept an eye out on this um, AusAid website that promoted the jobs. It's just got, um, like a, it's like any job that you would apply for. They post specific assignments um, for volunteers to go and complete in a whole range of countries all over the world. Um, and so, yeah, if you go, I think, I think it's AVI now. So the AVI website is part of AusAid and they'll have all the assignments listed um, that countries would like someone to go and complete at that time. So I applied for this particular job. It's a really quite a competitive process to get these jobs. Um, and yeah, as I said, it's like six months of the whole like big process um, to get there. But yeah, it's a 12 month. They post how long the job would be. I think they're mostly around the 12 month mark. Sometimes it turns into longer. Um, a lot of my friends ended up staying and, and doing different work. Um, a couple of them are still there now, actually. So yeah. So when you left Tonga, I'm just I'm just piecing your kind of career together a bit here. Did was that when you went and started your work at Second Bite, or what happened? What happened after Tonga? Yeah, sure. So after Tonga, I got a job in a community health centre. Um, it's now called Star Health. It's in St Kilda, Paran, and South Melbourne. Mm -hmm. um, so I worked there for three years as a community dietitian, which again was um, an incredible experience of getting a lot of exposure um, to different kind of nutrition work in more of a metropolitan Melbourne setting. Um, by this point in time, I think I've been away from my family for about 10 years. So I was quite happy to come back um, and have time close to my family. I met my now husband in Tonga and he is from America. Um, he was really excited to move to Australia and so um, we left Tonga and, and came and um, settled down in, in Melbourne. We were in a share house. I didn't know that he'd become a husband at that time, <laughs> um, but there you go. And um, so, yeah, so that job for three years and I think 
in that job, I um, did a lot of work with um, emergency food relief and a lot of my clients in the outpatient clinic where people who were experiencing hardship and um, food insecurity. So that's where I guess my real interest and passion for um, public health um, to prevent and support people who are experiencing food insecurity really started. Um, and I did a bit of work with Second Bite during that job and actually got um, one of my, she's a good friend now, but she um, asked me for a coffee one day um, and said that they were about to advertise a job at Second Bite and would I be interested? Um, and so that was how that transition happened. Um, so then I went across to Second Bite. I worked there for, um, yeah, I think it was about three years that started. I was there. Um, what was that? Research and Development Coordinator was the title at first, but then that transitioned. Um, I ended up developing two nutrition programs. One was for people who were experiencing food insecurity. A lot of um, young people experiencing homelessness did this kind of eight-week cooking and nutrition education, like nutrition and um, food literacy type program. Um, and then the, the second program was for the staff and volunteers who provide emergency food relief. So trying to make the meals that people are eating a lot more nutritious and safe and all the rest of it inclusive. Um, so yeah, so my title was then the National Nutrition um, Program Manager at Second Bite. And I had um, a couple of dietitians, one down in Tassie and one in Sydney. I was able to get some funding to employ those people. So we sort of spread the programs out and um, yeah, it was really fun. It was, it was a big job. Like I think I realized when I went into that, um, how challenging it would be. I loved every second of it, but it was a lot of work. Um, and yeah, you sort of felt pulled in many different directions, which I think is very common for people working in the nonprofit sector. And how did that role differ from your other more kind of traditional dietetic roles? Like what were the key differences? Probably, um, as I just mentioned, like feeling so pulled in so many different directions, like it was less structured. There was no kind of, okay, you've got this clinic on a Tuesday, Friday, you've got this outpatient group to run, you've got these community barbecues to facilitate whatever it might be in community dietetics you've got your kind of weekly schedule at second bite it's so opportunistic like all of a sudden there's a philanthropic funder that wants this amazing project to happen by the end of the financial year and so you sort of everything and pivot and make that happen um and so yeah, you just have to be super dynamic um, and organised and efficient. And it was like, it was quite a different skill set that we needed and really creative as well, which I love. Like I've always loved that creativity um, about what we can do as nutritionists and dietitians. So I think it was just, it was challenging because the opportunities were so broad. There's so much work to be done in that space, really. Yeah. And in saying like you've done public health and community dietetics, where would nutritionists fit into that? Could they have a similar role or is there a difference um, between the two? 
Yeah, so out of, um, it's a good question, out of all the jobs I've done, um, so the community dietetics job obviously has to be done by a dietitian. So my job in Carnarvon, my job in Alice Springs, um, and my job at in Melbourne at the Community Health Centre all had to be a dietitian. But the job I did in Tonga could have been a nutritionist and the job I did at Second Bite could have been a nutritionist as well. Um, although the fact that I was a dietitian helped at Second Bite because they were able to put that on, um, like they made it really clear that the programs had been developed by an accredited practicing dietitian and um, they use that a lot um, to kind of get that credibility and the, it helped with attracting funding. Um, so there was nothing to say that it couldn't be a nutritionist. And in fact, when I, I fell pregnant while I was in that job at um, Second Buyer and my um, replacement was a nutritionist. So, yeah. And then how did you decide to come back to Monash and, you know, just go down the path of, becoming a lecturer and now a PhD candidate. Yeah, sure. So I, when I left Tonga, Claire Palermo, um, she was my mentor when I graduated from, um, from uni. So while I was in Carnarvon, cause she'd done, um, like her first job was in Alice Springs. And um, so she became my mentor while I was in Carnarvon and um, we live like five minutes from each other down on the Mornington Peninsula. So I knew Claire quite well by this point in time. And she rang me when I got back from Tonga and was like, can you come and do some backfield teaching for me? I've got this like project I'm doing. I need someone to teach public health nutrition. Um, and you'd be able to bring some great experiences from overseas and around the place into the classroom. And at first I was like, oh my God, Claire, I cannot teach. Like that's... <laughs> so intimidating and what would I know like how could I possibly talk to that many people um didn't love public speaking at all and just felt really overwhelmed that she asked me and um anyway I thought about it for a little bit and was like oh I'm never I'm never one to shy away from a challenge so I just kind of thought I'll give it a go it was one day a week on the side of my other jobs so I was teaching for that whole time I worked at the community health centre in Melbourne and then also at Second Bite. So I've been teaching since 2009, um, but just on the side. And then when I had my son, so little Elliot, who's now five, um, when I went back to work after maternity leave with him, I transitioned to just working at Monash. The Second Bite job was just too kind of big and unwieldy and um, yeah, I just, having a newborn baby and yeah, I just thought the, the teaching thing, I was, I really love teaching. Like I absolutely love um, my job at Monash Uni. Um, and so I essentially came back, I think I was two or three days a week um, for that time. And then um, had my daughter, little Heidi, who's now three, um, and so it's just, it's been such a great job to have at Monash. And then obviously Claire's um, up, up and away, like she's doing such incredible things. So mm -hmm. teaching public health nutrition for that whole time and then started teaching the sustainable food sustainability systems unit. I was um, very fortunate to work with Julia McCartan. We designed mm -hmm. the unit. 
and we teach that together. Julia graduated with me at Monash, so I know her super well, good friend of mine. So it's fun working with friends and mm. um, yeah, and then essentially it was a bit of an ultimatum. If you if you want to keep teaching at Monash, you've got to do a PhD. It's just um, sort of the way it works in academia. So I wasn't, I never thought I'd do a PhD. It was never anything that I would have, like if you'd asked me even three years ago, I would have said, there's no way I'm doing a PhD. Um, but as it turns out, I have um, this incredible project that I'm working on and I really just think of it as a project. Um, my supervisor is Julie Brimblecombe mm -hmm. at Woods at Deakin and they are just absolutely amazing to work with like I, I feel very fortunate um and yeah so it's just sort of all slotted into place <laughs> um yeah so loving it but never thought I'd be doing this so what what does your PhD involve what what is your project so I'll give you the non-boring sort of, <laughs> of it. Um, so I am looking at what role our local governments can play um, by creating policies that encourage us to eat more environmentally sustainable diets. Um, so I've essentially my first study, which I'm still kind of um, slogging away at, hopefully I'll get it um, submitted for publication in the next um, month or so, but I've looked at all over the world at different local government policies that are doing just this to see all these amazing examples um, that are happening overseas and then I'll um, yeah come back to Australia and my next study will be some case studies so I'll look at local government areas in Victoria um, to see what what's happening here in Australia so yeah it's, it's super fun like fascinating I'm, I'm learning a lot along the way so. is that that's quite different actually to what we've heard in terms of what other PhD um, candidates are doing so Two questions. Is that a more like qualitative type of study? Um, and does that involve things like looking at like sugar tax and kind of those things we hear about um, that yet yeah, governments do implement? Exactly. Yeah. So it's looking at different policies. So policy can take many, many different forms. Um, sugar tax is an example. Another example in Brazil, they have a school feeding program. So every student, I think it's in secondary as well gets meals, so breakfast and lunch um, when they go to school. And so Brazil have implemented a policy where 30% of the food served has to come from local family farms. Mm -hmm. So supporting that whole paddock to plate kind of food system um, and ensuring the sustainability, resilience, equity, health, like all these factors. Um, so policy can be incredibly powerful um, when it's done well and have all of the outcomes that we want as nutritionists and dietitians. Um, so yeah, it's there's a lot of power if you do policy right, um, which is what I'm really interested in learning. So yeah. we'll learn all about that next year. <laughs> Great examples next year. Have you found that the you know your extensive work in the field? has helped you get to this point? Like, do you think you draw kind of knowledge and experience from all that time you had actually working one-on-one -on -one with people and in communities? Has that helped with your project? Definitely, 100%. And I get asked quite often, 
um, from nutrition science students, whether they should do dietetics, whether it's going to be important for them if they know they want to do public health nutrition. Um, and while it's definitely not essential, you can forge an incredible career in public health nutrition without doing dietetics. However, I will say that the stories that I've heard by being in a clinic with an individual client carry along with me all the time. Like I think about those stories of food insecurity. So when you're doing public health work, you're working with policymakers, like it's those stories that you have kind of circulating around in your head that bring the reality to what the day-to-day -day experiences are of people that are experiencing this hardship. And yeah, I think that might be something that gets missed for people that jump straight into really kind of hardcore policy roles um, without that. And there's a way to engage people and gather that um, information along the way. So it's not, it's not the only pathway, but for me, it's been really valuable. And then in addition to all of this, you also are the co-owner of Delicious, an American-style dill pickle business that you run with your husband. So could you please tell us a little bit about how this came about and, you know, what kind of being also in the food industry side of nutrition has, has taught you? Yeah, so this is kind of a funny story. My husband, so he's American. He's from um, Virginia in the States and is a true pickle lover. Like he grew up with it. Pickles are like Vegemite in the States. <laughs> Everyone's got them in their fridge. Um, and so he's always wanted to start his own business. You know how some people just have that in their belly and mm -hmm. there forever. He was always coming out with different business ideas. And then finally... We both were like, okay, American style dill pickles. I reckon I can do this. Because some of the other ones, he was like, I want to start a fried chicken chain. And I went, I'm like, no, no, we can't <laughs> selling fried chicken. <laughs> this is not going to work. And so the dill pickle thing, like they're super healthy. Um, I really believe in the way we work with farmers who are producing um, the cucumbers that we pickle. We've really carefully selected all the ingredients that go into our pickles. We know the stories behind each ingredient. Um, so yeah, it's kind of been a nice um, combination of, um, of, and he's just killing it. Like he's, he's all over the logistics. He, yeah, he's, he's doing really well. Um, and the, the business, like it, First round of COVID was very stressful because 80% of our business is selling big 10 kilo buckets of pickles to cafes, restaurants and pubs. And mm -hmm. so of course they all closed. Um, so that was quite stressful. Um, but now everything's kind of ramping up on a whole nother level. We've launched a couple of new products that are hopefully gonna go into the supermarkets. We're just working on that now. Um, but yeah, so um, it's been quite the journey, like a real roller coaster. Um, for the first six months, we were in the kitchen making pickles every weekend. We'd be sitting up till like midnight, putting the labels on our pickles, ready to sell them at the farmers markets, and um, just and because we've got the two little kids that just mm. flood in here somewhere as well. And, <laughs> 
So yeah, it's and but like the kids just love it. They come to all the markets with us. It's a real family affair. And I just I love that the kids know what we're doing and mm-hmm. Elliot runs around handing out our little business cards to people and and then encourages people to come have little samples so it's um it's been really nice to do as a family and so fun to share this with James and do it together as well so Mm. yeah and how's that transition to like during COVID to have you moved your business more online and you're saying you're going to supermarkets what other changes have you made due to the yeah so obviously all the markets, are, well, not obviously because some of the farmers markets are still running, but the markets that we were doing were mostly down on the Mornington Peninsula and they all closed. Mm. Um, so yeah, we haven't done a market since like February. Um, so in lieu of that, we just put some money into advertising online and um, we've converted our website over to Shopify and now we've got heaps of online orders coming in. So we've pretty much replaced our markets with online orders. Um, and then I guess, yeah, all the um, the burger chains and um, the restaurants, cafes, all of them have had a, t- a bit of breathing space. And a lot of actually realized if we can support an Australian business, why would we not do that? And so we've up a whole heap of new customers, um, those food service customers because of that, people wanting to kind of keep it at home. And um, we've got a national distributor, um, which is just incredible. So we've, I think we've got over 150 retail outlets now and um, we're, we're over 100 food service customers. Um, so it's it's getting really big. It's, um, mm. we sort of can't believe it ourselves to be honest it's pretty exciting and when did you start this just over two years ago wow that's pretty impressive yes we sold our first jar in november 2018 so oh yeah not even two years sorry yeah i I saw on instagram was it the other probably might have been a bit older but you were talking about finishing a HACCP plan and I just thought wow HACCP plans like in real life <laughs> I know isn't that cool because I remember learning about HACCP that was something that was super helpful as well like obviously starting a food business you have to get your um, local government comes and does like an audit of your facility and um, we make our pickles at a um, warehouse in Moorabbin so City of Kingston came and did that audit and I was able to answer all their questions and like I understand from a public health perspective why this process and these regulations are so important and um, yeah so it's been really helpful and then we've actually just um, passed the next level up of food safety audit so I can't share right now what this is leading to but we'll do a big announcement on social media shortly because this next level of order that we've just passed is opening a whole new kind of opportunity for us so yeah and we just got our pickles um they're in singapore now and oh, wow. um, exported them to singapore so yeah i'm learning a lot about um, about the food system from a very different lens, which um, is interesting. I'm learning a lot every day. We learn something new. And I think that leads really nicely into our final section of the podcast where we're going to get you to give, you've already given some fantastic advice, but a bit more advice for students and graduates who are 
wanting to pursue a career particularly in public health and community nutrition. So from your insider's perspective, how would you describe public health nutrition? How would I describe public health nutrition? I would say that the work that we do in public health nutrition is all aimed at creating a space or an environment in which people live where it, the easiest way to interact with food is going to have the best outcome for that person. So whether it's a health outcome or it's about equity or about planetary health, all the different outcomes, we want to create this environment so that it's easy for people to live their life having the best outcome for them. So who, are the, who would be the types of people that a community health you know, dietitian would typically work with? So many. And this is the thing, like, I don't think... Um, I don't think I realised how broad it would be. You're working with all the allied health professionals, so your OTs, your speeches, everyone. You've got your community development officers. You're working with local council. You're working with funding bodies. Um, you're working with policy makers at local government, state government sometimes. Um, yeah, it just it goes on. And then, of course, all your um, community members in all shapes and forms, because you want to engage all the different people that are ultimately going to be affected by what you're, you're working towards. Um, so yeah, it's, it's really broad. The stakeholders that you work with in public health nutrition are very broad. And do you focus quite closely on, say, the social determinants of health, kind of looking at nutrition in, I guess, in perspective of all of the different, you know, the other streams of I guess, someone's life that will really contribute to their overall health? Like, is it quite broad in that sense? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because ultimately the way someone interacts with food is influenced by all these other things. So the social determinants of health come into every decision that people make and the way they interact with food. So you do have to think really holistically and go really far away from food to have the desired impact on food and the, the outcomes that come from the way people interact with food. Yeah. Mm. Just with that as well, what are some of the challenges you've encountered um, being in the public health field? Because a lot of people have referred to things like red tape and things like that. So I just kind of want to know your experience with that. Um, yeah. So I think um, in my experience, you're working, because the stakeholders you work with are so broad, they often have different timelines, different expectations. Um, and so a, a lot of what we do is about interacting with people and, um, and managing those relationships, managing expectations. Um, for example, you might have a funder that wants you to eliminate malnutrition by the end of the year. Or whatever it is, like often there's unrealistic expectations because they're putting up a lot of money. So what they mm -hmm. want for their money is what they want. And so you're managing that expectation um, and you're also advocating to do best practice. So you know that to achieve what they're wanting you to achieve, you need to consult with people. The process is quite slow. 
if you do it properly. And that consultation, really meaningful consultation and engaging people takes a long time. So there is this friction between us doing best practice work in public health nutrition on our timeline when we know that we're going to get the best outcome and often the external expectation of what we can achieve in that timeline. Very, yeah, interesting. Thank you. And we've been asking all of our guests to kind of taking from this insider's perspective, it's a bit fun, but could you please give us a bit of an elevator pitch for why uh, a nutrition student might want to consider pursuing a career in public health nutrition? Oh, um, I guess, oh, I feel bad because I haven't really worked in clinical or sports, so I don't, I don't say, um, yeah, I don't want to not consider them. Um, I guess if you are someone that loves adventure, creativity, interacting with a whole bunch of different people, um, then public health nutrition is just this platform to do all of that and so, so much more, so much more than what you will even imagine that you can do. And I love what you talked about. Kind of, I feel like you actually have given us kind of two elevator pitches because before when you were talking about you know, what a pub, you know, I guess who the types of people are that you work with and what a public health nutritionist or dietitian does. I think it was really you know, interesting the way that, you know, you've talked about how you can almost engineer the environment a bit to be able to affect not just the, you know, the people that you work one-on-one -on -one with, but with an entire community. And that can have such a ripple effect that maybe, you know, as a, in another field you, you're working quite one-on-one -on -one. so yeah it was that was really interesting yeah and how cool and then, is it that you can do that little piece of well, not a little piece of work but you can do a big piece of work and then you move on but that piece yeah. of stays there for years and years and years and many people benefit from the work that you've done and you don't even know it like that listen and then just um kind of a bit more generally so for you know all nutrition students, regardless of the um, the career that they're looking to get into, what is one skill that you think nutrition students should focus on learning that would complement their more academic study? I think that this is a really good question. And I would say it's about looking within and seeing what you're good at. So what are you interested in and what are you already good at? Like, are you someone that's always had like this creativity or are you really good at communicating or marketing or like, what is it that your um, kind of personal attributes allow you to do really well and hone mm -hmm. those skills because those skills are going to complement your skills as a nutritionist. So for me, I, I've always loved artwork and and that side of things so I've worked really closely with designers to kind of build up the branding and like all the materials that go with the programs that I've developed along the way and that's what elevates the work that I do to another level just because of my personal interests so if you're really interested in marketing you can do the same thing or or whatever it is that, that you're really interested in mm -hmm. I love that. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's great. And then what has, what has been a highlight of your career or life so far? So what are you most proud of in the work that you've done? 
um, in my whole the span of my career. I feel really lucky to have worked in Tonga because I met my husband there um, and because I now have two beautiful children and feel really fortunate for that. I feel very grateful that my career took me to Tonga mm-hmm. for that reason and, and many others. Mm-hmm. And that actually leads really nicely into the question I was just going to ask. So how do you balance having a young family with being a PhD candidate and lecturer? Sometimes better than others. <laughs> Tuesday wasn't a great day. Um, yesterday was delightful. It's just, um, yeah, really up and down. Like um, Elliot's in prep, so he's homeschooled. So that's um, throwing a bit of a spanner in the works. It's a constant juggle and, um, yeah, I'm pretty organized you'd laugh if you saw our family schedule of what everyone's doing and who's cooking dinner and who's doing this and that so um yeah just I think being organized and kind of knowing what's within your control and what's outside of your control and um yeah just trying to have fun along the way they're so like gosh I think kids are so good at putting everything into perspective aren't they so they laugh all the time, which is very helpful. And just to wrap up this section, what is one bite or pearl of wisdom that you could give to current nutrition students and graduates? Yeah, I would say to find a good mentor when you graduate. So think about it before you graduate. Think about who you want to be your mentor. Um, with dietitians there is a formal mentor program the provisional accredited practicing dietitian it's a year-long program um but even if you don't do dietetics i think approach someone to be your mentor for that first year when you graduate because having a mentor is about finding someone that you respect, that's done work that you're really interested in, um, someone that you can pick up the phone and say, I'm about to go into this interview. Can you give me a bit of a pep talk? Like I'm feeling really nervous. Um, can, yeah, just kind of give me a little boost up. Or it's about, I just missed out on the job that I really wanted and you want to give someone a call and just to feel that hope that, that you find your job and it's also about connecting you with people in the industry in the field that you want to work um, because those human connections are really really helpful in the field of dietetics and nutrition Um, so yeah I'd say it's it's finding a mentor that you're really comfortable with Mm. expect yeah I'm just going to add a sneaky question um, a lot of nutrition students are aware of the Master of Dietetics, um, but Monash has recently developed a Master of Food Science in Agribusiness. And um, just personally want to know what your, um, yeah, what your take is on that um, for students who aren't considering to do, yeah, the dietetics course. Yeah, like I don't know heaps about that unit. I know um, um, Margaret, one of our, she's in our department, and um, she's a PhD um, graduate from our department. She teaches in there. She's amazing. Um, I think that if you know that you want to work more in the food system space, so there's very much a focus on the way food is produced and travels along the food supply chain. 
Um, so if that kind of um, food systems work is of interest to you, which is really closely aligned with public health nutrition work. Um, and there's some incredible jobs around that are around um, building up the resilience, health, sustainability of our food system. So I think it's an, a great opportunity to have that master's at um, Monash, if that's the kind of area that you want to work in for sure. Thank you. And to finish off our in incredible conversation, we just want, we ask all our guests two questions. So our first question being, where do you see nutrition going in the future? And um, I'm super biased with this one, just because I'm reading all these articles um, from the United Nations about like, if we don't do something soon, we're looking at a pretty grim future in terms of planetary health. So I think, and I'm seeing it shift like every day there's more and more focus on the sustainability of our food system and how important consumer choice is in that whole food system. So I believe that nutritionists, dietitians, and I feel really, really passionately about building capacity of graduating nutritionists and dietitians to be able to work in this space and inform people about the environmental impact of our food choice yeah and finally what is your next bite or sort of project that you're working on ah um gosh there's lots i shouldn't be doing so many things while i'm doing a phd but i just get excited um easily by all this cool stuff um i don't know if you've heard of the um the little food festival that happened last year at fed square um, but they're planning the next one and I've been asked to help them. So they developed, um, do you know Minecraft? Yeah. Yeah, so they developed a, a, a system within Minecraft that's getting kids to plan food systems and to plan different food environments in cities. So there's like little compost sections and the beehive and the, the veggie patch and then the farmer's market and so, and rooftop gardens and stuff. And so the kids get to like plan this ideal kind of city where people can interact with food in a really incredible way that's super sustainable and health. So yeah, I've been asked to help them um, with the development of this Minecraft game. Um, so that's probably, um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited about that. That's one thing. It's, yeah so relevant as well and there's so many little kids that use minecraft and yeah that that's such a smart way to yeah teach kids from young that's so you cool. gotta make it fun all this mm. everything that i've done in nutrition i always try to if you're engaging people it's just got to be fun thank you so much liza that has just been such an insightful conversation i really love the way you just took us through your whole career but in a way that was just it was I don't know I felt like I was just going through all these different places with you and yeah. I think it's very inspiring to students to see you know if you have that um, craving for adventure and you're happy mm -hmm. to kind of uproot and go around the world you can and you can make such a difference in, um, in the lives of people that you work with and in their community as a whole. Thank you so much. Oh, it's you. my absolute pleasure. Thanks for the opportunity. Thank you 
so much for tuning in to our episode with Liza Barber. Liza was just so warm and lovely to interview and we hope that for those particularly looking to pursue a career in public health you got lots of um, juicy bits of information from this podcast episode. So next week we are actually interviewing two fantastic dietitians all about health at every size um, and weight stigma and dietetics and then we have one more episode and we'll be at week 12 so we are very much getting to the end now and we look forward to seeing you soon.